Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more. My first and only guest tonight has been nothing short of amazing as a San Francisco giant for pretty much his whole life. Ron Wotus joins us right now. Whoa, tell me about uh, in 2012 with the passing of Tony Bennett today when you were standing on the stage at City Hall, your second World Series championship, and he sings, I left my heart in San Francisco to the masses. What was that like? Well, first off, it's a little bit like being with you on the show. It's always a good time. But good to hear from you, FP. Um, a great moment. Matter of fact, I just showed a clip, a home video on uh, the, the pregame um, with that. And, you know, the second time through the World Series, you, you have your phone ready, right? You, you go through it once and then you start thinking, you know, I got to document this stuff. And um, great moment, you know, with, with the coaches and the City Hall and all the electricity of the fans, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, he spent a lot of time in the clubhouse, as you know. I mean, he spent a lot of time with Mike Murphy. Um, we had him in the clubhouse one day with Boach and all the coaches. We had him for about a half hour to talk to him. And what a gracious man. We're going to miss his music. And uh, he's a legend. Uh, he's the best. We're all going to miss him. So did you get, what did you guys talk about, if you can share that with us, when he was in the clubhouse? Did you talk about yeah. like singing or just baseball? What did you guys talk about? Well, a little bit about baseball and singing. I asked him a specific question because my mom grew up in Brooklyn and he's from Queens and she was a, always a, you know, a fan of Tony Bennett. And she's the one that told me that his real name was Benedetto. Mm -hmm. So when I had the opportunity, I had to tell him about my mom, how much she loved him. And she's the one that told me about, you know, you, you changing your name. So I asked him how that all came about. Now, it's all online. I don't know if your callers know, but, you know, he used to go by a name of Joe Barry when he first started singing, um, you know, in, in, in back in New York when he was real, real young. And then in Greenwich Village, uh, he ran into Bob Hope one night. And he listened to him and he went up to Tony Benedetto or Joe Barry, what he was calling himself. And he asked him what his real name was. And he says, it's Tony Benedetto or Anthony Benedetto. And Bob Hope said, well, we're going to call you Tony Bennett. And, and Bob Hope helped him launch his career, and that name stuck. He stuck with that, and, of course, the rest is history. Tremendous knowledge. I did not know that story. I knew it was Benedetto, but I didn't know that Bob Hope was so influential in changing his name to a legend. What, what an amazing opportunity. You've had so many amazing – you're like Forrest Gump like as, for, as coaches. Like you've, As far as coaches go, you've had so many amazing opportunities just as, as shooting the ass with Tony Bennett in the Giants clubhouse. All right. What what was the main subject on the post-game show tonight? What did you guys talk about? Well, you know, more of the same. You know, the sky is falling a little bit. It wasn't bad. I mean, they lost three in a row. But, you know, look, um, you know, the, the big at bat in the seventh came down to Casey Schmidt. You know, Flo got the big walk. And he got to hand it to, is it Reams or Weems? I can't remember his name. Weems. Weems. He pitched around Flo. You know, he tried to make pitches and, Flo put up a great at bat. Is he hot? He didn't let the veteran beat him. And, and it came down to Schmidt. And, he, and, you know, he ended up striking out. And that was their one shot. But, 
You know, the thing I've been saying is they're 10 games over 500, and this team's been decimated with injuries. And as well as Bailey is doing, as well as Schmidt had done, um, you know more than anybody, FP, it's just not an easy game when you don't have, um, you, you know, and I'm not saying he doesn't have it, but he's still a young player. And, you know, I have always felt, that, you know, failing in the minor leagues or having, you know, a certain number of at-bats in the minor leagues prepares you for what he's going through now. And when guys get here quickly, this is a tough league, as you well know, and it can be difficult to get out of because of the lights, the 40,000 people, the pressure, and it's much easier to go through it in the minor leagues and have something to fall back on. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. Sebastian Maniscalco. I'm a comedian. In my 20s, I wasn't, like, in a company. And I don't know, like, how marketing, sales. Yeah, you're a brand. You're a company. Yeah. and Like Jay-Z says, I'm a businessman. Yeah. Yeah. To that. Remind me not to quote any hip-hop lyrics again. That was just a big miss. When you first said it, I'm like, yeah, he's a businessman. Yeah, I nailed it at the end. I pulled it together. It just took me a minute. The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. So how does he get out of this? How does he figure it out? And what is Justin working? What are they? Can you share like as much as you can share? And what are they working on? Because I, I was talking about it. Well, I don't know if you were listening before he came on. It's just such a fine line between taking the aggressive nature away and just going up there swinging. I talked about reading the room. If there's like a walk in front of you or two walks in front of you, then you have to let the guy kind of hang himself. You can't help him out. And I just think the decision making process has seemed very young. Uh, with Casey Schmidt lately, and we all love him. Like, he got us all rejuvenated and energized as Giants fans and the clubhouse maybe even too. So we all love the kid. We're all rooting for him. But, like, what's the fix here? Like, how do you get him locked back in and maybe, like, patiently aggressive? Well, I don't know if there's an easy fix. You know, look, um, the team with the middle infield is strong and crawled down. I mean, you know, he's he's the guy, and he's getting this opportunity. And, and probably in a perfect world, you'd probably take the pressure off him, let him work through this. You know, it's getting to the point now um, that you maybe consider putting him in the minor leagues and work through this and come back and, and come back stronger um, because of it. But, you know, there's no other option right now, and he plays such good defense, so he's helping the team in that regard. I just think it, it's hard, you know, especially on a radio show, that, you know, the guys that are supposed to be carrying this club are, you know, the guys, the Davises and, and, and the Petersons and the Yazes and Wade's been there and all these, the floor is what he's doing. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to have nine guys throughout that lineup with the, with the injuries they have. So back to your question, I don't know exactly what they're working on. Obviously they do a good job with game planning and want them to be more selective, et cetera, et cetera. I heard you coach Santangelo because I was driving home. Um, you know, and it's not a bad thought, but I don't think they're doing anything drastic with him. Um, you said you mentioned move up on the plate because he is extremely quick inside. He, he rarely gets jammed. Um, and, and, you know, take that, take that ball away off the plate, uh, make, it, make it closer to him. But, you know, I, I just think um, he's going to have to uh, struggle through this because um, he does play very, very good defense and is not another option right now. Um, we'll see how you know how long it continues. I don't have an easy answer for him in the position that he's in, um, but he plays good defense, and the team is ten games over five hundred. So um, he's getting this opportunity. 
Yeah, I mean, it's all good times. It's a roller coaster. They win seven in a row. They lose three in a row. This They grind. Tonight was a little different. I, I didn't love tonight's game. It's the first time I've been a little salty on the air just because the ninth inning went too fast for me. This is a grindy team, and it felt like it felt like they, you've been at the end of these things. Well, I was talking about it while you were on TV because I was watching. The end of a double-digit game road trip is always the toughest, right? Because your, your, your suitcase stinks with dirty clothes. You've been on the road forever. It's, been a, it's, it's a bus. It's a plane. It's a bus. It's a plane. It's a hotel. It's a hotel. It's this bus at this time. And then all of a sudden you're getting toward the end. You start to smell the finish line. Like the, the families say, oh, we can't wait to see you. You know, you're, you're getting ready to play in front of your home fans again. You're coming back to cool temperatures in your home ballpark and your own bed. There's a tendency at the end, I always thought, where you have to just give it this last push, and it's way easier said than done. Yeah, I agree. It's the ups and downs of the season. Look, you know, they came out of the All-Star break four games off, and they were hot. They swept Pittsburgh. You know, I mean, we both know that could have went either way. I've seen teams come out of the All-Star break flat or sloppy making errors and the timing's not off. They came out like gangbusters and, you know, now they, they've settled, uh, settled down a little bit and lost three in a row. But again, I think, I think it's really not uh, the club that they want on the field per se, you know, what he's been struggling a little bit and uh, you know, his, his start tonight um, wasn't the best, but the offense has been uh, not putting up a lot of runs. And if they had their full complement of players, I think they would have, you know, had a much easier time tonight. So I, I try not to, I try not to put too much on Bailey and Schmidt. You know, as long as they're not hurting the team defensively, you hope they can contribute here and there. But it's the other guys for me that really have to carry the load. Talking to Ron Wotus, nice enough to join us, doing double duty. He just did the pre and the post game show. How's the traffic out there? Is it horrible? No, it was well. Not once you got out of the city. Once I got on the bridge, it was. It was fine, but this, the city was. A, it took a little while to go four blocks. You know how that can be, but uh, no, no it, it's it's not bad now. Yeah, I drove around the city today. It was nuts. It was gridlock everywhere. All right, the trade deadline's approaching. You don't want to play GM or president of baseball operations on the air. Neither do I. There's some <laughs> needs. We know where there's the needs. It's pretty obvious. But the people I've talked to on the inside said they're being very proactive. They're going for it. I don't think it's going to be the big names, but what's your thoughts as the Giants get to this trade deadline? And maybe talk about trade deadlines of the past and some of the things you experience on the inside about like what actually is reported and what actually happens. Yeah, well, first off, I think that what's actually uh, reported is, is way off base. Everybody's yeah. got an article to write. Everybody wants to speculate what's going to happen. It's just like, you know, I used to follow, you know, who's getting the manager jobs, you know, at the end of the year, and it's the same thing. Names are thrown out, and there's no validity, validity to a lot of them. It's just a writer speculating and, and trying to put his story out there. Um, I think as we get closer, I, I think um, that kind of narrows down and some information does get around. Um, now, you know, I grew up with, with the Giants, with, with Brian Sabian, and we went for it every year. And, you know, I hear once in a while you hear, well, you know, we got rid of McReynolds in Pittsburgh. And we've, we've made some trains that, that, you know, in the long run didn't look good, but we always went for it and tried to win. And, and you were a player and you were a coach. And I don't think anybody that's involved with the game, player, coach, or even fans, wants to just get to the playoffs. You want to win a World Series or you want to go deep. And after what they did, uh, the, our, our club did in 21, winning 107 and getting bounced out in the first round, um, I got to believe that they want to go deep in the playoff. And I've heard Farhan say that. So having said that, 
you, you know, you need to get some guys that can make an impact and take the pressure off these young guys because they've been, done extremely well. you got Matos in there too, you know, even Sable. But they've never been through something like this. And you need some veteran guys and let the young guys complement what we're doing. They've done great if you really want to be that level caliber club. Yeah, resume guys, guys that have been there, done it, maybe even had a few parades and a few rings in their jewelry box. Yeah. Do you have any stories about saves? Like, did he used to come into the coach's room and say, this is what we're doing? Did he let you guys in on it? Like, you know, hey, we're look, we're going after this guy. And do you have any, like, specific stories about where he told you something and then it either did or didn't happen? Well, he, he, he didn't always tell us, but there was many times that he would discuss individuals. Um, we got a chance to get so-and-so, and, um, you know, I don't want to go in particulars yeah. on the names, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, he would ask our opinion, you know, what do you think, uh, how he's going to fit. You know, mostly saves and Dick Tidro and Lee Elder and when Ned Coletti was there and, and, and the managers you know, we're first and foremost, but he, he did bring us all in uh, many, many times, especially if it was in your area uh, or you knew, you know, something about the player. And and that's, that's really good because you can give your feedback. But just like any organization, you know, the, the decision makers at the top, you know, they don't need 15 opinions. Um, they're going to go with, you know, you know, the advanced scout, Pat Dobson, uh, was always involved with that. I mean, he knew the league very, very good. He'd been in the game for 30 years. He was an advanced scout forever. So you really know the players. And that's that's the big thing. You know, we were always trying to find out about the players that uh, we were interested in, and he would ask us about that. What do you know about this guy? What kind of animal is he? You know, what's his heart? What's his soul? And those are the things, you know, that you want to know because – you, you you know, players always look good when you see them on the other side, but then you find out the warts or the person and maybe there's something in there, you know, he's not going to fit into the clubhouse. How's he going to be? So that was a lot of investigating information that we would always go through as a group. Yeah, I wrote down in the middle of it, you said, how's he going to fit? And I think that's such a huge part, especially you're around this ball club way more than I am, but I've been around him a lot. There's a tremendous vibe with this bunch. They, they generally love each other. They root for each other. They pull for each other. They have a good time playing baseball it's a good clubhouse there's good chemistry it's a good vibe like so like even talking to Gabe the other day like he, you have to do your due diligence because you don't want to go out and trade for a guy and then him come in the clubhouse and disrupt that unless there's certain there's certain instances where the talent outweighs that or or no yeah. he has to be like a perfect fit for your team well, I, I think the, there's there's certain instances where the talent outweighs that I mean supply and demand is uh is the bottom line you know if you get the right player it's not like you get you you got to put choice from five players that are the right guys on the deal that you can make right i think a perfect example of this not even with saves is is with uh with brian in 21 uh, when farhan traded for him you know scott harris knew the animal in chicago and they knew he was going to be a free agent but they wanted to make us better in the short term they didn't give up the farm for him um, they were able to get him at a low cost, and they they pretty much knew ahead of time, in my opinion, that they weren't going to re-sign him as a free agent. And that's turned out to be a very, very good move. Um, so, you know, he's not he's hurt again, uh, Brian is, and, and not having a very good year. So, um, you know, th- there's an example of what can go on, but I, I think 
you know, you're never going to have, we, we signed Jose Guillen one year. He didn't come in with a great reputation, but he played and he was a real talented guy. So it's not always, you're not going to find the perfect player always with the perfect makeup. If he's the right fit because of the talent and you have a huge need, you'll still make that trade. And you've seen this and I've seen it. When you do add at the trade deadline and you are a buyer, it, it, it adds a certain element to the clubhouse. It injects life into a clubhouse. Like, hey, we're trying here. And if you don't, I've seen it go the other way. We're like, are we trying? We didn't trade for anybody, and we're right there. I was on a team in Montreal where we were in the wild card. We were in the wild card for like most of the season, all the way up until the end, and we did nothing at the trade deadline. And it kind of deflated the clubhouse because yeah. I think we were a game behind the Padres in the wild card. I think it was 1996. And they did nothing, and and everybody was bitching and moaning on the plane, like, yeah, typical Expos. We didn't do nothing at the trade deadline. Yeah. And then I've been around teams, not playing for teams, where you do make some additions at the trade deadline. Everyone's like, yeah, let's go. At least we're trying. Yeah. Well, you're exactly right. I mean, honestly, like I said, I was fortunate w- with saves. We always went for it. And, and, and some you know, people say, well, we shouldn't have got rid of this guy or that guy. But you know what? We always went for it. Nobody wants to play the last month and a half, two months of the season with no chance to win. And you're exactly right. To be blunt, it just sucks the life out of you if you're right there and you don't do anything and then you watch the teams you're competing with get all-star players. Um, it, it, it really hurts you as a group. And conversely, when you do make that deal, I mean, I've seen coaches high-fiving. I've seen the energy with the players. It gives you a whole lift and another boost of confidence. And that's what you need, you know. So when you get that marquee player or that guy that you need, it's like, okay, here we go. And the confidence level goes through the roof. Are you ready for hard-hitting observations? Reality remains reality no matter how hard you try to ignore it. The Ben Shapiro Show brings you all the news you need to know in America today. Again, I'm all here for the pop culture, people dating each other for the press. Ben breaks down the culture and never gives an inch. Every so often, and by every so often, I mean literally every 27 seconds if the producer gets fired. The Ben Shapiro Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. You know what gives me a boost of confidence and a lift is sitting next to you every night at the game in the press box. And we talk baseball <laughs> for nine innings every night. That, I enjoy it, too. Oh, my gosh. I have so much. Well, I'm going to Italy on Sunday, so I won't see you the next homestand. I'm gonna just going to be drinking wine and eating food for about a week or so, and then I'll see you when I get back. I'm going to miss you. You know, I got relatives in Rome and and Altamora and all over the place over there. Where are you going? I'm going to Poisitano, the Amalfi Coast, and then Capri for a day, and then uh, Amalfi at a beach club. I have a friend, Paolo, who owns an Italian restaurant here, uh, a Frenzy by Night, and he has friends with a beach club at Amalfi. So I'm going bougie, man. I've never been. I'm this old, and I'm just letting it rip. I'm spending money I don't have, but I don't care because it's once in a lifetime. <laughs> Hey, I've been to Positano, right in the middle there. I can't remember the name of the hotel. Our traveling secretary, Brett Alexander, recommended because he was a traveling secretary for you too, and that's where, where no they said, "I'll get you the name of the place. You have to go to the restaurant. They got live vines growing in the restaurant. It's right in the middle of Positano, and uh, it's elite. So I'll get you that name. I think uh, you're going to love your trip." No doubt about it. I can't believe you haven't been. Being the Italian that you are, and you've never been. I was supposed to do, like, clinics with Mike Socia when I was playing. I had knee surgeries both years, so I had to cancel going over with him to do baseball clinics over there. And then there was other times and stuff happened, so I'm still crossing my fingers. I'm not leaving until Sunday. I've had 
three trips canceled to Italy, so hopefully it happens this time. And if you remember that hotel, send it to me. I'll I'll, I'll call out there and try to make reservations. It's peak tourist season. It's been tough to get like dinner reservations at places. Well, the ball players like it too. So I'll tell you a real quick story. Here is um, I'm I'm down eating breakfast. I well I, I come down to breakfast in the hotel, and guess who's sitting there having breakfast with his wife? Who? Walt Weiss. No way. <laughs> yeah, Walt Weiss, and he asked me. He goes, "Did I see you in Venice three days ago?" And my wife told me when we were in Venice, someone was, like, staring at me. Then we went around, you know, one of those corners. I mean, there's real skinny roads. And, and I, sure enough, it must have been he saw me in Venice, and then we were at the same hotel. So what, what a coincidence. What a, I can't remember, Whoa, the last time I took a, a vacation in the summer. Like, it's always been the fall, right, yeah. after baseball season. And then you do. I ran into Mike Piazza in Maui one time when we golfed for two days. So, yeah, you do run into people all over the world because baseball players travel in the off season. Well, I'll see yeah. you when I get back. Well, thanks for taking time out on the way home. I know you had a busy day. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, anything for you, and have a great trip. All see right. you soon. Thanks, Well, That's Ron Wotus, Giants legend, still working with the guys. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.